Welcome back to Medic Minutes, the pre-hospital podcast series of the BC Emergency Health Services. I'm Gordon Meinecker, a primary care paramedic and UBC medical student. Today I'm here with Kayla Richardson. She's a respiratory therapist and fellow UBC medical student. Kayla, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to discuss CPAP. Continuous positive airway pressure. Kayla, as a respiratory therapist, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with this topic. I am, yes. <laughs> what is CPAP, Kayla? Let's start with that. Good question, Gord. CPAP is a way to non-invasively deliver a positive pressure to a patient's respiratory system. So that will involve a mask uh, strapped tightly to a patient's face, enough to um, seal and prevent any leakage out the side. And then I believe in your case, you have tubing and oxygen tank that you use in the pre-hospital setting. Awesome. So over the next 10 minutes or so, Kayla and I are going to discuss what CPAP is, when we use it, the physiology behind how it works, how that applies to certain patient populations that we see, and then some of the indications and contraindications for its use in the organization. So we reviewed some of the physical features of what the CPAP mask kind of looks like, how it's going to seal around that patient's face. Um, Let's talk more about the physiology, like what is this actually doing to benefit these patients and what's it doing for the respiratory system? Mm -hmm. So CPAP helps with a number of respiratory illnesses by um, improving a number of uh, pathophysiologies. So first and foremost, um, CPAP generates a positive pressure and that positive pressure can do a number of things. It can minimize alveolar, alveolar collapse. So it helps recruit alveoli and uh, it increases the lung compliance. So you're able to actually pull open your lungs a lot easier when you already have open alveoli, as well as open airways. So that positive pressure sort of stents the smaller airways from within. And this will help a patient's work of breathing. So a lot of patients in respiratory distress have a high work of breathing, trying to pull open a collapsed lung. And so that positive pressure from within helps sort of expand the chest and make it easier to expand. And lastly, with this improved um, alveolar recruitment and a lower work of breathing and more air is moving in and out, it can help improve ventilation and perfusion matching. So if you've ever heard of VQ matching, um, CPAP can also help with that. Cool. So if I'm hearing you properly, I'm hearing that it minimizes alveolar collapse, that it increases lung compliance, decreases work of breathing, and improves ventilation perfusion. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Can we talk a little bit about ventilation perfusion or VQ mismatching and what that kind of is? Sure. So... VQ matching refers to a patient's lungs when someone takes a breath in. um, Are you getting air down to the alveoli? And of these alveoli, are you getting perfusion? So something like shunting, which occurs when you have no ventilation, but you have blood flow to an area. So what that will do is you have deoxygenated blood traveling through the lungs. It doesn't get oxygenated. It doesn't release its CO2. So you don't exhale the CO2 out and it travels to the heart. And so that can actually result in um, hypoxia and things of that nature. I've only ever known CPAP as something that my dad wears to (laughs) stop 
his snoring. <laughs> so what sort of pathophysiologies or patient populations would I be looking to use CPAP on? Because presumably, as much as people think obstructive sleep apnea might be an emergency, it's not typically something that we will see. So the main primary pathologies that you will see that are very useful um, for using CPAP on are uh, COPD and CHF. So that's what I primarily think of. And COPD refers to um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And for CPAP, the use of CPAP with COPD, it's really helpful for stenting those airways open, as you may or may not know. Um, in COPD, your airways uh, can become collapsed, and so you've got that positive pressure from within, so CPAP helps with that. As for CHF, CPAP is very helpful with the cardiogenic pulmonary edema that occurs in CHF, and what that does is it helps to support uh, the alveoli and stent them open and uh, minimize alveolar collapse which improves your oxygenation. Yeah, cool. That's super interesting because I had never really thought of COPD as something that actually affected the airways. I've always thought of it as something as more of at the alveolar level because you talk about your emphysema or your chronic bronchitis, but I never realized airway collapse is part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the airway collapse is a huge part of COPD and patients with COPD um, will experience air trapping. So what that involves is you actually, when you take a breath in, you generate a negative pressure and you suck air in when you expand your chest. But when you exhale, usually passively, um, you actually cause collapse in the small airways. And so they fold in on themselves, but it actually traps air on the alveolar side of the airway. And that way patients can't exhale their CO2. So their CO2 will rise and hence the name chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Mm. And you, so... Because I commonly hear this term CO2 retainers. Is that kind of what we're talking about? People who are trapping air, not getting CO2 out? Yes, exactly. Cool. Thanks, Caleb. So I'm hearing that CPAP is largely useful for COPDers and CHFers. And there might be some other patient populations, but today we're going to talk about those two. Mm -hmm. What do these patients look like when they're in respiratory distress and might benefit from CPAP? Mm -hmm. So similar... Patients who are in respiratory distress, they'll look very anxious. Um, they'll have, you know, wide eyes. Um, they'll be trying to expand their chest. They'll be working to breathe. You might see accessory muscle use. Um, some vitals that kind of can indicate using CPAP would be a SAT, an SpO2 less than 94%, and a respirate greater than 24. Um, those can be some indications. Um, your patients that will benefit from CPAP will be conscious, spontaneously breathing patients who are not actively vomiting. Those are the patients you want to apply CPAP to. Um, because CPAP does not actually deliver any breaths, it's just a constant pressure. The patient has to be breathing spontaneously. And then you don't want them to be actively vomiting, of course, because you're applying the mask and you don't want them to aspirate. That will take things from bad to worse. So just to quickly summarize there, so basically we need to be able to fit the mask, they need to be able to follow commands, so they need to be awake and alert, and then they have to be kind of moving enough air on their own, spontaneously breathing, not necessarily tipping over into failure yet, or respiratory failure. Does that sound right? 
Yeah, that's definitely correct. And it, it takes a bit of experience to tell when a patient is starting to tip over. Um, so going from like a high rest rate, if you start to see their rest rate slowing down, if they start to look lethargic and you, you kind of um, patients who are at the peak of their rest distress will be diaphoretic and they'll be working hard, but then you'll start seeing them turn the other way. And so that's when you might uh, think, oh, time to get to the hospital mm. right away. Or switch to the BVM. Yeah, that is what you'll be using yeah. if you don't get to a CD yeah. in time. <laughs> I have been in the back of an ambulance once. Kayla, you're not supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> I, for work, okay, for work, I should probably emphasize, we went lights and sirens for a ventilated, <laughs> intubated patient. It was fantastic. So let's talk quickly about contraindications, patients that we don't want to put CPAP on. The way I kind of think about it is if you can't fit a mask, so the people who are way too young, the people who are decreased level of consciousness or they're not going to be able to follow your commands, they're going to be at high risk for aspiration. Mm -hmm. And then also those patients that might be negatively affected by positive intrathoracic pressures. So those are your patients who are already hypotensive where that increase in intrathoracic pressure is just going to potentially drop their pressure even more. The patients who might have a pneumothorax or a traumatic cause of their shortness of breath, where that positive pressure might just increase the size of the pneumo, might lead to attention. Those are kind of the patients that I'm thinking of as contraindications. And that's kind of what's reflected in the BCHS guidelines. Kayla, anything to add there? Um, nope. I think that is a great summary, Gord. Uh, the only thing I would add, did you mention tracheostomy or laryngectomy, oh, those type nice. of things. If they have a um, airway, an artificial airway in their neck, they might not have communication with their mouth, actually. Mm. So applying a mask would not be appropriate in this situation. And then Kayla, we were chatting earlier about this decrease in oxygen saturations that you can sometimes see when you switch someone to a new respiratory device. Because mm. I'm thinking about these patients who we're going to put CPAP on and we will have already been trying a high flow face mask on these patients usually. So usually we'll have that set at 15 liters a minute. That's fairly high. Sometimes we'll even also put on nasal prongs underneath that to try and just crank the FiO2 or their fraction of inspired oxygen. Mm -hmm. And then when we switch them over to CPAP, you know, some guys talk about leaving the nasal cannula on and still being able to maintain a seal. Mm -hmm. But typically you're switching to the CPAP device, which is just run at the five liters per minute of oxygen. So you've essentially decreased your fraction of inspired oxygen when you switch them to this device. And I've heard of patients dropping their SATs when you first apply that device, despite an improvement in their work of breathing. Um, is that kind of something that you see in hospital or is that something that we should expect and not kind of be freaked out by? All the time. Um, I see patients go from high flow oxygen to the BiPAP and the one thing I'll say and give advice to everyone out there is CPAP takes a little bit of time. So when you apply it, um, the patient needs 5, 10, 15 minutes to be able to um, recruit the alveoli, to be able to open the airways. It's not going to happen in three breaths. It's going to happen over time as they increase um, their, expand their chest and get that positive pressure to where it needs to be. So be patient. I know it's it can be scary uh, when you see the SATs drop. Um, obviously, if it's been five or ten minutes or if the patient is desaturating 
very rapidly to dangerous levels, you're going to want to grab that VVM. But that would be my advice. Yeah, and we joked earlier about just turning the SAT probe off so you don't even <laughs> see it. But there is something to that. You want to look at the clinical condition of your patient as opposed to just what the numbers are saying on the monitor. But so then I'm also looking at the BCHS guidelines here and just for like times that we would consider discontinuing CPAP because typically we should keep it on until we get to the hospital. But uh, you would discontinue it if their mental status changed, like if their GCS <laughs> dropped, mm -hmm. um, if their respiratory status declined. So if they started to tip into failure and weren't ventilating mm -hmm. very well anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, patients who start to vomit, you'd want to get that mask off quick. Mm -hmm. And then if they stop tolerating it or their blood pressure drops below 90 systolic. Mm -hmm. I think really important is also part of the GCS dropping is can the patient maintain their airway? Mm. That's an indication for a, an artificial airway mm -hmm. intubation. Um, so if you're really concerned, you've put the patient on CPAP, their SAT has dropped just double check your equipment is set up properly. Oh, totally. And I think the one big thing that comes out of CPAP especially is making sure that that seal is is good mm -hmm. um, and knowing what it sounds like when there's air that's bypassing through that mask or you're not generating those pressures. Because if you've just dropped that patient's FiO2 and you're not actually contributing to any pressure in their airways, I could see that being problematic, you know? Absolutely. They might have a hole somewhere. Yeah. In the last course I was on with CPAP, they were really encouraging paramedics to go and open one up and try one out um, mm -hmm. and make sure that kind of every ambulance station has one available to do that. Um, Terrible I think idea. that's a really good idea for Terrible. people to know their, know their gear before <laughs> they need to use it. That would make too much sense, Kayla. Uh, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Have you ever tried on those masks? They are... They are uncomfortable. Yeah. They are not the comfiest things to wear if you are not in respiratory yeah. distress or even if you are. I know I they're think. called non-invasive, but they they're, feel <laughs> they feel pretty invasive, don't they? They do. They do. I've actually worn BiPAP before and I just about oh, blacked geez. out yeah. from the positive So that's pressure. a good point. So the difference between CPAP and BiPAP, you know, CPAP, for example, will start at like five centimeters or go up to 10 centimeters of water sometimes. And then that's the same for inspiration and expiration. What's different about BiPAP, Kayla? Perfect. Yeah. BiPAP uh, is CPAP plus. So it adds a second pressure that's delivered during inspiration. So you have a machine that will deliver uh, one pressure, five to 10 centimeters of water during expiration. And then it'll add a second pressure called the inspiratory positive airway pressure that will be delivered when the patient inhales. And that's a way to support the patient's ventilation. Uh, when they take a breath in, you get that extra positive pressure that helps them expand their chest. And then a couple other things that we had noticed earlier is just we can still give medications when we're using CPAP, right, Kayla? Absolutely. I would highly encourage that, especially if you have your COPD patients, yeah. asthmatics, things like that. Um, absolutely. I think you can run the nebulizers with the CPAP on. Is that right? Yeah. There's that little T adapter where you can still run the nebulizer. You just increase the oxygen supply by seven if you're doing that. And then meter dose inhalers are apparently also in the works. So to stay tuned for that as well. Fantastic. Um, a quick reminder that primary care paramedics should be calling clinical and quickly reviewing your care plan with a paramedic specialist before starting CPAP. 
It's just an extra resource for us that helps to ensure that we're all delivering the best patient care possible. Kayla, that was a pretty good conversation that we just had about CPAP. Anything else that you think we need to know? Any words of wisdom from (laughs) From, the respiratory therapist who's receiving these patients? When in doubt, call your RT. That'll be my advice. 1-800-RT, Kayla. (laughs) We'll post my cell phone number to the the show notes. Just kidding. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know what respiratory therapists are or what we do, um, except for maybe paramedics and and docs and nurses but um if you have any questions we are very happy to answer them if you're in emerge and you see an rt please feel free to come talk to us we're a very friendly bunch and uh we'd love to help you guys out anytime will do thanks kayla thank you that was another episode of medic minute stay tuned for future episodes coming soon and as always if you have any questions or feedback or comments send us an email at podcast at bcehs.ca Thanks for listening.